0: This morning, we're going to be finishing our look in the book of Exodus for this year. Uh, We're going to be looking at Bring Us In. Now, the tagline for the entirety of this study in the book of Exodus has been, He brings us out to bring us in. He brings us out to bring us in. And that's one of the things I think is really important for us to remember in our walk with Christ It is indeed true that Jesus Christ does save us from something. He saves us from our sins. He saves us from our bondage. He saves us from death that inevitably will result eternally from sin. But He not only saves us from something, He saves us for something. He saves us to something. This promised land, this eternity, this life and life abundantly with Him. This opportunity to be able to spend long beyond the days that we're able to spend here on this earth and spend eternity with Him. He brings us out. That is indeed true. But we need to make sure that we're not just leaving it there. God just doesn't bring us out and leave us wandering. He brings us out for a purpose. And He brings us out to bring us in. And that's what we're going to look at today, of what exactly does he bring us out for? What are, we, what are we brought in to? And as we've looked at the book of Exodus, we've made the comment several times from up here that there's three different acts, or there's three different sections that we've taken you through in this study of the book of Exodus, and we have noticed that there are kind of like little mini-themes to each one of these sections that we can see that, that really hits home to us. Not only was it true and applicable and relevant to the Israelites during the time that this book was being recorded and during these events, but it's also true, relevant, and applicable for us today. But the overarching theme of the entire book of Exodus is the presence of God. And I think that we see this theme in all three sections, all three acts in the book of Exodus. First, I believe that we see His presence in the plan. That's the first act here. This is when we're introduced to this situation going on in the land of Egypt where the Israelites are currently in bondage. Now, they haven't always lived in bondage in Egypt, but for a good portion of their history as we begin to read this, they are in slavery. They are in Egyptian bondage. And what we learned about this section in this stage of the book of Exodus is that God's presence is there whenever the plan is being formed. Now, we took a really honest look. We took several weeks with this. We took a really honest look at this because this first part, there's some dark times that the people of Israel are going through. They're living in a dark moment in their history and we tried not to gloss over that we we tried not to sugarcoat that we tried to acknowledge that that like listen god is working there is a plan that's forming but it seems that god is completely in the background in this section we see the introduction of moses but we also see horrible atrocities That the Egyptians are acting upon the people of Israel. We're seeing torment. We're seeing abuse. We're seeing murder. We are seeing oppression. We're even seeing genocide at one point whenever Pharaoh orders all of the young men of Israel to be killed. We're seeing all of these things, and there's some horrifically terrible things happening. And that's reality. That is what happened in this time, but what we can also see, if we're willing to look beyond that and willing to look a little bit deeper is that we see that even in the darkest moments of human history, even in the times where the fall into sin in Genesis 3 is it's most apparent that we still live in a Genesis 3 fallen world, we can still see God's hand moving and His presence being evident in the plan that's coming about. We see it happening whenever the ten plagues or the ten strikes start happening. We see it happening when He summons Moses to Himself. We see it happening when He spares Moses. We see it happening when Pharaoh is confronted. We see that God, throughout a horrible time in human history, His presence is still moving and shaping. And that Romans 8.28 concept that we all like to live by, that He makes all things work together for good for them that love the Lord, that are called by His purposes. Because we hold on to that truth. We hold on to that promise because we recognize that we're not promised in there that bad things won't happen, that dark nights and dark times in our lives won't happen. We're not promised that at all, but we are promised that God is working so that the end result of whatever you're going through is for your good. And we see that his plan in the nation of Israel, even during the dark times, his presence is still there. We see in the second section that his presence is in the process. How many of you like that word process? Like We, we like it, we like process, until, most of the time right until we're right in the middle of the Process. I don't know about you all, but sometimes the process of waiting one minute on some pizza rolls to come out of the microwave is a little too much. But we see his presence. This second section is where the Israelites are freed from their Egyptian bondage. And we see that they come out in celebration. They come out in a parade. They come out having basically taken everything that the Egyptians have. They've taken all of this, all of the stuff, all of the coin, all of the livestock, all of the material things that they could possibly carry. They come out of Egypt with these things, and they begin a trek in the wilderness. And it's in this process that we start seeing I think it would be accurate to say that I think we start seeing the Israelites stub their toe a little bit. We see God intentionally lead them in a long direction. Like, He takes them around the Philistines because He knows that if they encounter the Philistines straight away, that they're not strong enough to overcome that enemy. But in the midst of this wilderness wandering, we see the people of God struggling. It's a roller coaster. We see golden calves. We see times where they're begging to return to Egypt. God, did you bring us out here to just bury us in this wilderness, in this desert? We had it better while we were slaves in Egypt. We see all this doubt, this frustration. We see these moments of despair creeping in to the nation of Israel in the process. But yet, there is this constant reminder that God's presence is with them. We see it initially, the cloud by day, a fire by night. We see Red Seas parting. We see Pharaoh's armies being totally wiped out and engulfed. We see manna falling from heaven. We see clothes that don't wear out. We see health that's unfailing and just is perfect throughout. There's no disease, there's no sickness, and they're walking in this wilderness and they're struggling. But yet, we see God's mercy... We see God's grace, and we see His presence the whole time. Even after one of the most idolatrous acts that the children of Israel could have enacted, and that's building the golden calf whenever Moses went up to the mountain to meet with God, and said, listen, we would like to have something that we could worship here, and they build an idol, even in the midst of that, God remains merciful to them. We see whenever that the Israelites truly deserved punishment, when they truly deserved condemnation, when they truly deserved the wrath of God, this Old Testament God that you see smite happening on every page of the Old Testament, right? That's the the image we have of the God of the Old Testament. Even when they deserve this, what do we see God do? He reacts with love. He reacts with mercy and grace and gives them chance after chance after chance after chance. How many of you in here this morning are glad for God's second chances? How many of you are glad for God's third, fourth, fifth, however many times we can count? I am grateful that God doesn't look at me and give me exactly what I deserve. But He looks at me with grace and mercy. And guess what? That was the God of the Old Testament, too. God of the Old Testament brought moses up onto the mountain he said go get them ready because i want to bring them into my presence tell them on the third day that i want them to come to me moses does that and then whenever the third day comes on the mountain there's fire there's earthquakes there is lightning there's all of this smoke there's all of this fear that sets in and the children of israel say you know what we know that god wants us to come into his presence but moses we're okay if you go Moses, you go. You find out what God wants us to do, and then we'll do it. And God, who we sometimes have such an an issue reconciling that He's merciful and He's graceful and He's loving in the Old Testament, the God that we seek that can be so wrathful in this Old Testament in our mindset, how He reacts to that situation is, well, if they won't come to me, I'm going to go to them. It's how badly God wants you in His presence. If they don't come to me, then I'm going to go to them. And that takes us to this third section of the book of Exodus. This third act where we see His presence in the place. We see His presence in the place. And that's what we've been covering these past few weeks is this tabernacle. This planning. This instruction. These commands that God has been giving to Moses to build a house in which I can inhabit. Build a tabernacle. Build a place of dwelling for my presence so that if my people aren't going to come to me, then I'm going to go to them. That's a good God, isn't it? That's a good God. And this is where we're going to kind of wrap this up this morning. You know, I wonder if the Israelites ever kind of wondered what was going on. Like, and, and let's be honest, I think every one of us in here that if we had the opportunity and we were asked and we an, answered truthfully, you ever wondered what's going on in your life? Like for any of you Office fans out there, you kind of got the Jim Halpert talking, talking head of it, and what is going on? You know, like this stuff's happening and we have no clue what's going on. It kind of puts me in, everything puts me in mind of Lord of the Rings, okay? But this especially In the Two Towers, we have a quote from Sam Wise Gamgee. I wonder what sort of tale we've fallen into. I wonder if sometimes the Israelites don't think that. I wonder if sometimes we don't think that as well. Like we get through the middle of our day sometimes, and it started out as any other day, just a regular mundane Tuesday. And then by the end of the day, it's like, what is going on? I wonder what kind of tale that I've fallen into. But we're seeing this interweaving that's taking place of the presence of God in all aspects of our life. Even when times are dark, His presence with you. Even when you're in the process of becoming, or when you're in the process of getting from point A to point B, His presence is with you. And even when the place has been established, his presence is with you. The author of Hebrews puts it this way: Never will he leave me nor forsake me. God's not going to leave you, and his presence isn't going to forsake you. So I'm going to go ahead and ask that you turn to Exodus chapter 40. We're going to be reading Exodus 40, verses 34 through 38. But before we get there, as you're turning. I want to bring this little factoid up for you. Leading up to this event, which is going to be God's presence finally inhabiting the tabernacle. From verses 16 to 34, we find the statement that Moses did all that God commanded. We see this eight times. As you read through this, that he did all that the Lord commanded. So we have this moment of instruction, and in these verses leading up to 34 through 38, which we will see is an amazing passage, with an amazing manifestation of the presence of God. There's still this theme that obedience to God's command attracts his presence in our lives now again it's not all works based but God has given us these commands he's given us these instructions he's given us these things to say that I want to dwell with you I want you in my presence and I want to be with you and here's a cheat sheet here's some life hacks as to how to make this happen I'm not trying to lord over you and tell you what to do but here's how these things happen just be obedient Listen to my commands. Follow the instructions of what I've given you on how to live. Eight times it's recorded that he did all that the Lord commanded him to do. And as we get to that place, we see in Exodus 40, verse 34 through 38 says this, For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So the tabernacle's complete. We've seen the command of it. We've seen the instructions. We've seen Moses gathering All of the supplies. We talked about generosity for two Sundays. About the generosity that the people of God showed towards this building of this house of the presence of God. This dwelling place. This tabernacle. We see all of this come together. Then we see all of the craftsmen. All of the skilled people. All of the people that's putting this thing together. And that Moses was obedient doing all that the Lord commanded him to do. And now we see this passage that God's presence comes into the tabernacle. So, when the work was complete, He comes into the tabernacle. Notice, did you did you notice what how how they knew if God's presence was in the tabernacle at this point? It's a familiar, it's a familiar thing. It's a cloud by day, right? fire by night. And a little interesting biblical factoid here, the cloud and the fire did not leave the nation of Israel until Ezekiel chapter 10. But this cloud, this fire, this presence of God settled. And it says that the nation, whenever they saw the cloud, whenever they saw the fire, they, they knew God's presence is there, and they were drawn to it. They came into His presence. They went there. And now I, I know that some of you may be asking the question of, well, he, Moses wasn't even, he wasn't even allowed in at this point. It's okay. Leviticus chapter 1, which is the next chapter in this record, Moses gets to go in. If you want some page-turning reading? Go to Leviticus. <laughs> then follow that up by Numbers. But we're seeing this playing out, this habitation, this dwelling place of God. And we're seeing that the value of the presence of God is still the priority in the nation of Israel's life. Now, as you read throughout the rest of the history of the people of Israel, that's not always the case. But what we've learned through this study is that Moses, you know, God got to the place that he was just like, I'm done with them. I'm done with them. Like, they can go. They can have the promised land. I'll do everything I said I'm going to do. I'll keep all my promises. I'm just done with them. They're stubborn. They're hard-headed. They won't do what they're told. They're rebellious. They, they grumble. They complain. They gripe. They moan. Everything about them. I just, Moses, I'm done with them. You all go ahead. Moses like, well, are you not going to go? I was like, no. I, I'll send an angel. I'll send an angel with you. Moses is like, listen, if your presence doesn't go, we're not going. And the nation of Israel began to adopt this and adapt this mindset of like, if the presence of God goes, then I'm going. But if his presence doesn't go, I'm not. You see, I think sometimes the allure of the promised land in our lives takes precedence over the presence of God in our lives. I think our desire for the blessing of God can sometimes supersede our desire to to dwell in His presence. Like we feel like there's so many materialistic, monetary promises and things that are tangible that we need to be experiencing that sometimes we get so caught up in the pursuit of those that we lose the passion for His presence. And what I think this book what this study is teaching us is that there is absolutely nothing that comes close to comparing to the importance of it, excuse me, of His presence in our lives. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of wealth. There's no amount of land. There's no amount of security. There's no amount of safety. There's no relationship. There's no career. There is nothing that even comes close to being as valuable as the presence of God is in our lives. And I believe that we need to adapt that mindset as well. Like, listen, God, I want this. I want the promised land. I want all the blessings. But, God, if your presence doesn't go, then I'm not going. But if your presence stays right here in the midst of this wilderness, think about that. Moses was making this statement in the wilderness, in the land where they had struggled, in the land where they had wandered for decades. In the land where they didn't want to be anymore. The last place I think that Moses and the people of Israel wanted to be was exactly where they were. But yet they were making the statement that if your presence is dwelling here, I'm not moving. I wonder if we have that same mindset sometimes. Now, God, I may be in the darkest night of my life. I may be in the driest driest desert that i may have been i may be in the deepest valley i may be experiencing frustrations i may be experiencing discouragement i may be falling into despair but god i feel your presence here i know that you're with me and god i want to be over here where everything's good i want to be over here where i'm encouraged where the light is where i'm on the mountaintop where nothing's bothering me i want to be here but god if you're not there then i'm not stepping foot out of this place and that's tough But when we value the presence of God, the way that we should value the presence of God, then that's the mindset that we have. God, no matter what this world throws at me, it's your presence that takes priority in my life. And I think that we've seen so many similarities with us and the Israelites. I think we get a picture through this of a lot of similarities. Like, they were in bondage. We were in bondage. If you're not a believer in Christ, if, you're not, if you haven't responded and surrendered your life to Him, then you're in bondage to something called sin. But just as with the Israelite, God's, God provides us freedom from this bondage. He gives us freedom from sin. We're under a penalty of death because of this sin in our lives and an eternal separation from God. But yet God offers us a way out the exact way that He brought Israel out of Egypt, way He provided an exodus for them out of that bondage. He provides an exodus out of our sin for you and I as well. And He brings us out. And it's through taking shelter under the blood of the Lamb that we find our protection. You see a similarity there? The tenth strike, the plague, the firstborn, and the way that the Passover, lamb, the, the Passover angel, the angel of death knew not to go in and enter into the house was that the blood of the sacrificed lamb was applied to the doorposts. You see, they found their shelter under the safety of the blood of the lamb. We do the same thing. Through the blood of the lamb of Jesus Christ provides us that shelter. And we can also see this freedom of movement, of process, this life and life more abundantly, moving us to a promised land. And folks, we're not there yet. Trust me, in my mind, if this world is the pinnacle of the promised land, yikes. Right? But you know what? Even though that we're not to the promised land yet, even though we've not crossed that proverbial Jordan in our lives to that promise that God has in store for us, we are just like the Israelites that God provides for us. As He did for the children of Israel in the wilderness, God provides for you and I today as we walk through the wilderness of this world. Again, he doesn't leave you. He doesn't forsake you. But there is one difference that I really want to spend the next few minutes on as I'm going to bring this to a close. We see that his presence throughout the book of Exodus has been by this cloud by day, fire by night. That's how the presence of God was signified. And that was if, if you saw the cloud or if you saw the fire, then you knew that's where God wanted you to go. I wonder if we sometimes aren't a little envious of that. Because wouldn't that make it a little bit easier for us? Like, well, I don't know if God wants me to have a gospel conversation with this person that I've worked with for 30 years. Oh, look, a cloud. Boom, that's a green light, right? Right? I wonder if God wants me to go and do this and reach out to this particular group. I wonder if God wants me to go on this mission trip. Oh, look, a fire. I wonder if God wants me to serve. I wonder if God wants me to get involved. I wonder if God wants me to do what, more than what I'm doing. God, I wish that you would just show me. Oh, look. Let's see, wouldn't that make it a little bit easier? It's okay if you want to answer. The truth is yes. It would. I mean, just like this big fire bolt from heaven, be like, I think that's a sign. And I think that's why Jesus had a problem when people were seeking a sign. Because to see a sign and respond to it doesn't take that much faith. So the difference is, is they had to wait for an external sign to know whether the presence of God was with them or not. And you and I as believers, you and I as sons and daughters, you and I as children of God, we have the ultimate sign dwelling inside of us in the form of God's Holy Spirit. You see that fire by night, that cloud by day, now lives inside of us. But that's a little bit tougher, isn't it? To understand like that John was talking to us that Jesus came to dwell among us or to tabernacle amongst us. And then he gave us the promise that he was going to go away. And Jesus, this is one of the most audacious statements that I could ever think of in Scripture because Jesus looks at his disciples and said, listen, I'm going to leave you and you're going to be better for it. It's like, wait a minute, Jesus, I have some questions. Because Jesus says, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send My Spirit. I'm going to send You My Helper. I'm going to send You the Comforter who's going to come and not only walk beside of You, not only walk with You and dwell with You, but My Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, is going to dwell Inside of you. I want, to, I want to close with this passage. A conversation I had this morning opened my eyes to this scripture, and I, and I want to read it to you. First Peter chapter 1. And I want to use this as an encouragement as, as we kind of take a step away from this study of the book of Exodus, because just like the Israelites, we're going to struggle. We're going to go through difficult times. And I know I asked this last week, but I'd like to ask it again. How many of you in here are going through a difficult time? That you're struggling. That, that some things that you're facing, and they're, they're, they're tough. They're difficult. It's hard to find hope sometimes. It's hard to be encouraged in some of the situations that we find ourselves in. It's hard not to doubt and the easiest thing for us to do sometimes is to give ourselves over to discouragement and despair. But I want to leave you with these words this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded. How awesome is that? Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Just let me read that first part of chapter, verse 7 again. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, your faith is the currency in this passage. So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold. More precious than gold. Though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'd like to ask the praise team if they would to come back to the stage this morning. When we think of looking at our faith as a currency, as something that Peter is trying to articulate how valuable it is. He uses the most valuable thing on earth at that known time. And that's gold. And something that's still such a fine metal that that people will give up everything that they have. They will stake their entire life's work. They will go to the far reaches of the earth in pursuit of of this valuable, precious metal. And Peter says that your faith in Christ Jesus through everything you go through, through trials, through tribulations, through possible temptations, that faith is far more valuable than that thing, that metal, that people will go to the ends of the earth for. It's the presence of God that we place our faith in that we depend on, that we put nothing else above, and we say, God, it's Your presence. Period.